I'm delighted to welcome a new supporting sponsor to the local government news roundup family. It's Ventio, a leading essential infrastructure services provider, redefining service excellence for communities across Australia and New Zealand. Ventio is operating at over 400 sites and with a large and diverse workforce of over 35,000. They specialise in the long-term operation, maintenance and management of critical public and private assets and infrastructure across a broad range of industry segments, including defence and social infrastructure, infrastructure services, telecommunications and transport. For local government, Ventia specialises in the end-to-end delivery of open space management, soft and hard facilities management, street cleansing, minor capital works and much more. Ventia brings capability in whole-of-life asset management and robust use of data for better decision-making for their clients. Ventia, making infrastructure work sustainably for our communities. Head to ventia.com to find out more. Coming up on the Roundup today, electoral structure changes announced for 39 Victorian councils, heated debate as councils urge to declare support for a ceasefire in Gaza, a new home for a Western Melbourne A-League club takes a major step forward, a mayor's plea to Taylor Swift to make a local visit, Queensland local government elections in full swing with some surprising early results. Western Sydney mayors hit out at a proposed new housing tax, a New South Wales community to vote on directly electing its mayor, three councils around the country that are struggling to find and keep CEOs, and the council fixing potholes with vegetable oil. Hello and welcome to the Roundup. I'm Chris Eddy. Lots to tell you about again today on our Friday edition. It's the 16th of February 2024. The podcast is brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association, the national broadcaster on all things local government, with support from Davidson, the nationally recognised local government recruitment and business advisory service. Heading today's bulletin, the Minister for Local Government in Victoria, Melissa Horne, has announced changes to the electoral structures of 39 Victorian councils, having accepted the recommendations of electoral representation advisory panels. The changes come ahead of the 2024 local government general election set to occur in October this year. The panels have worked over 15 months to ensure that councils align with new requirements under the Local Government Act 2020. The Structural amendments will see 30 councils change to a single-member ward structure, except in instances where the panels have recommended the council have uniform multi-member wards or an unsubdivided structure. Four councils will change to a multi-member ward structure, while another five councils will change to an unsubdivided structure. The panels formed in October 2022 have provided advice to the government on the recommended structures and have included community engagement to ensure local views were considered. The VEC has supported the work, providing technical and administrative support. The panels have made recommendations for the total number of councillors for each municipality, the ward structure, the number of wards, number of councillors per ward, ward boundaries and the names. 
Minister Horn has lauded the work of the panels, saying the electoral representation advisory panels have delivered through work over an extensive period to ensure that Victorian councils will be set up to effectively represent their communities. She also said the new ward boundaries will be in place for the elections this year, which is an important step in the government's work to reform local government and to meet the expectations of communities right across Victoria. However, the changes have raised concerns from some about increased politicisation and decreased diversity and democracy. The Herald Sun reports today that some current councillors say the move to single-member wards will make it harder for independents and will favour major parties. Others say the changes will increase individual accountability and potentially bring more women and diverse councillors after the next election. You can find the details of the affected councils at lgnewsroundup.com where there's also a link to the electoral boundary details. In other news, there was heated debate at a Hobson's Bay Council meeting this week over a petition calling for support for Palestine and a councillor's notice of motion. Two councillors abstained from voting after concerns were raised about the merging of the petition, which called for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza, with the notice of motion, which some said did not address the petition. The Star Weekly reported heckling and chanting from the public gallery and said some residents walked out of the meeting in disappointment. The Hobson's Bay matter also gets a mention in an article from The Age today, which focuses mainly on Melbourne City Council, which will vote next week on a motion calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war, proposed by independent councillor Jamal Hakim. The motion includes seven demands, such as a permanent ceasefire, release of all Israeli hostages and imprisoned Palestinians, and an end to illegal Israeli settlements and occupation of Palestinian territories. The motion follows similar ones passed in Sydney and Hobart and is in response to pro-Palestine protests in Melbourne. However, it has faced opposition from the Jewish Community Council of Victoria, which argues that local councils should not intervene in foreign affairs. More on the subject from an international perspective a little later in our spotlight. The Mayor of Brimbank has welcomed the appointment of municipal monitors to the Council. Councillor Ranka Rasik told the Star Weekly that she supports the move to improve behaviour and governance of the Council and said it was essential that the community has confidence in elected representatives. Another councillor, Maria Kerr, said on social media that she welcomed the decision with open arms and appeared to link it to a lack of support from some fellow councillors for her push for transparency by allowing unscripted questions with no notice in the Council chamber. Janet Dorr and Penelope Holloway were appointed earlier this week week as monitors for a term that runs through to the end of the year and post the election of a new council in October. Wyndham City Council has officially signed a lease with the Western United Football Club to train and play from the city's regional training facility in Tarnit. The facility is nearing completion and is set to serve as the new home for the A-League club. With three pitches and a two-storey pavilion, the facility will host both A-League women and men's matches. The opening match will be an A-League women home fixture against the Newcastle Jets on the 17th of March. The next stage of the project will deliver a 15,000 capacity site Stadium and an 800-lot residential community. Strathbogieshire Council is conducting a feasibility study to assess options for improving its civic presence and administrative capabilities given the inadequacies of the current facilities. 
The study will examine existing sites including the Euroa Civic Centre, the library service in Ngambi, operational depots in Euroa and Ngambi and smaller satellite sites in Avenal, Violet Town and Strathbogie. A $183,000 contract has been awarded to Workshop Architecture Proprietary Limited to deliver location options, preliminary designs and cost estimates for new civic office accommodations and operations hubs. Yarra Ranges Shire Council has responded to the Productivity Commission's review of the National Agreement on Closing the Gap, which has criticised the government's efforts and called for more serious action to improve the lives of First Nations people. The review found that current actions merely relabel or slightly modify existing practices. In a report from the Fern Tree Gully Star Mail, Mayor Sophie Todorov emphasised the Council's commitment to closing the gap as one of its big focuses. Councillor Todorov said the work of the Council's Indigenous Development Team and Indigenous Advisory Committee has been crucial to making headway in closing the gap. And the Mayor of Port Phillip, Heather Consolo, has invited pop star Taylor Swift to St Kilda this weekend for the 43rd St Kilda Festival, which is taking place on the same weekend as Taylor Swift's sold-out performances at the MCG. The invitation took the form of a video and a personalised letter to the star, arguably considered to be the biggest musical artist in the world right now. Councillor Consolo encouraged Swift's fans to attend the free festival, highlighting St Kilda's reputation for live music, food and drink. St Kilda was declared Victoria's first live music precinct in 2023. You're listening to the Local Government News Roundup. It's edition number 307, recorded Friday the 16th of February 2024 and brought to you by the VLGA and Davidson Recruitment and Business Advisory Services. Now we're going to start the National Roundup in Queensland where more than a dozen mayoral candidates will be elected unopposed in the March 16 election. They include Moreton Bay Mayor Peter Flannery, Lawrence Springborg in Gundawindi, Ramon Jao in Hinchinbrook and Samantha O'Toole in Ballon. Isaac and Diamantina councils are also among those to have incumbent mayors returned unopposed. About 1,400 people across Queensland have nominated for councillor or mayoral positions across the state's 77 councils. The Electoral Commissioner Pat Vigeon told ABC News there'd been a slight decline in candidates compared to the last poll in 2020, potentially due to new mandatory training requirements for nominations. Ahead of the local elections, the Sunshine Coast Council is already receiving complaints about the placement of candidates' campaign signs. Despite there being no limit to the number of signs a candidate can display on council-controlled roads, there are specific rules about their placement for public safety. Some candidates are accused of flouting the regulations already. If a sign does not comply, council officers will request its relocation and if not complied with, the sign is impounded. The Department of Transport and Main Roads can remove problematic signs without notice. More on that story from the Sunshine Coast News. Nathan Essex, a Conservative candidate for Toowoomba Council, has sparked controversy with his anti-woke campaign, according to the Toowoomba Chronicle. Despite accusing the council of embracing a woke agenda, Essex has failed to provide examples of specific policies or decisions. His campaign focuses on the council's perceived detachment from residents and its deviation from core responsibilities. Essex opposes the council's plans for a new administration building and its moratorium on gas exploration, citing these as examples of misplaced priorities. 
Queensland's peak local government body, LGAQ, has expressed concern over delays in implementing recommendations from a previous commission of inquiry into the Crime and Corruption Commission. The LGAQ warns that the announcement of a new commission of inquiry may further delay necessary reforms. CEO Alison Smith has emphasised the urgency of implementing the recommendations to ensure a strong and independent anti-corruption agency and to avoid repeating past mistakes. Now to the latest from New South Wales and several Western Sydney mayors have hit out at a proposal to place a 1.5% tax on new residential developments in Western Sydney. The proposal from the Western Sydney Planning Partnership would add an extra $10,000 to the cost of building a new 100 square metre home to fund new affordable housing in the region, according to a report in today's Daily Telegraph. Fairfield Mayor Frank Carboni said his council won't support the proposal as it would be passed on to home buyers and would not improve housing affordability. Liverpool Mayor Ned Manoon and Campbelltown Mayor George Grease have also criticised the proposal, with the latter describing it as a Western Sydney-specific tax. Hawkesbury City Council has rejected a New South Wales government plan to allow low- and mid-rise housing in local town centres due to flood risk, local heritage and insufficient infrastructure. Mayor Sarah McMahon said the plan could put lives at risk due to the area's vulnerability to natural disasters and the difficulty of evacuating large numbers of residents. The council plans to formally respond to the government outlining its reasons for rejection and seeking further discussions. The City of Sydney is testing parks for asbestos contamination in mulch following advice from the Environment Protection Authority. Immediate tests have confirmed asbestos in three locations, Victoria Park, Belmore Park and Harmony Park. The affected areas are being sectioned off and cleaned by licensed asbestos removalists. The public is being urged to avoid mulched garden beds and areas under trees in the parks. Further testing will be conducted in 32 more parks, with priority given to parks with more visitors. Kiama Council has accepted a variation of the performance improvement order from the Minister for Local Government. A minister's letter acknowledged the council's financial challenges and the steps taken since the issuance of the PIO in November 2022. A report from John Rayner, appointed by the minister, confirmed the council's efforts and emphasised the need for collective action for financial sustainability. The council welcomed the absence of additional sanctions or a financial controller appointment and will continue to comply with the new requirements and regularly liaise with the Office of Local Government. Still at Kiama, and the council has decided to hold a referendum on whether the mayor should be directly elected by the community for a four-year term, instead of being elected by the nine councillors every two years. The outcome will be binding, and if approved, will be implemented in the 2028 local government elections. The election of the deputy mayor and the number of councillors will remain unchanged. The referendum will be conducted at the same time as local government elections this September. In Tamworth, a council-funded study trip to a water recycling conference in Denver has sparked controversy amongst ratepayers. The $17,600 trip for a Tamworth Regional Council project manager was unanimously approved by the council despite budget constraints, arguing it would provide valuable insights for the city's upcoming water purification facility. The country leader reported concerns from critics who say the trip is unnecessary and costly for a project still in its early stages and may give rise to potential influence from private businesses. 
Snowy Monaro Council has voted to transfer the ownership and operations of Cooma's Yalambi Lodge residential aged care facility to respect aged care. The council said the decision, which follows over six months of negotiations, ensures the region retains a viable aged care provider and aligns with its commitment to divest from residential aged care. The transfer is expected to take place in early April. In South Australia, Adelaide Comets Football Club's proposal for upgrades, including a 1.1 metre high fence with gates, has been rejected by Adelaide City Council. The Adelaide Advertiser reported that the decision means the club will be unable to host National Premier League matches at its home pitch. The plan was reportedly rejected due to concerns about setting a precedent for the parklands and potentially excluding the public. The council vote comes after initial approval by the Adelaide Park Lands Authority and despite the club receiving $1.7 million in state government funding for the upgrades. And now to those councils struggling to find and keep CEOs. Firstly, the District Council of Coobapedi in South Australia has appointed Scott Reardon as its new acting CEO pending the departure of Mark Austin, who was also acting. He's taking up the CEO position at Peterborough Council. Mr Reardon has held various local government management positions, including acting CEO of the town of Walkerville. The council has been actively searching without success so far for a new permanent CEO since October last year. Orokun Shire Council in Queensland is also having issues with its CEO position. The Cape York Weekly says John Thomas, who was appointed in December, has failed to show up for work almost a month past his scheduled start date. It's been a period of instability for the council with three CEOs and four acting CEOs over the past two years. The mayor and current acting CEO did not respond directly to inquiries from the Cape York Weekly about Mr Thomas's absence. However, in a statement, the council said acting CEO Graham King's contract had been extended until after next month's local government elections. And Ian Bodil, the CEO of Barclay Regional Council in the Northern Territory, has resigned after only three and a half months in the role, making him the third CEO to quit within a year. The council is currently under investigation by the Northern Territory Government for its conduct and finances. Bodil's departure follows a series of resignations and allegations of bullying and mismanagement at the council. MSN.com has reported that Jeff McLeod, the former long-time chief executive of the McDonnell Regional Council, has been hired as the new interim chief executive officer at the council. And residents in the city of South Perth are urging the council to increase efforts to protect native fauna, particularly black cockatoos and black swans. Requests include planting more native trees to reverse the decline of cockatoos and conducting an audit on the city's trees which serve as a food source for the birds. Concerns have also been raised about the low survival rate of cygnets on Jerdamia Island, part of a $1.5 million black swan habitat project, according to a report from Perth Now. Now on the Local Government News Roundup, it's time for the International Spotlight. Just like in Australia, many US city councils are under pressure from their communities to take a stand on the Israel-Gaza conflict. One such city is Cincinnati, Ohio, where the mayor this week declared that the city will not take a stance on a proposed resolution for a ceasefire in Gaza because it would only divide and inflame the city. 
The Cincinnati Enquirer reports that people have been coming to the Council's public comments forum in recent weeks in their hundreds, advocating for and against a ceasefire resolution. Mayor Aftab Purival has encouraged dialogue in the community, but said for the Council, consensus language doesn't exist for an issue that is among the most nuanced and complicated in international affairs. Some U.S. cities are considering aerial tramways as a solution to ease traffic congestion and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The Regional Transportation Council for North Texas has invited cities to apply for gondolas that operate on aerial tramways, with the city of Plano being the first to apply. Smart Cities Dive reports that Los Angeles and Salt Lake City, Utah, are also advanced in their consideration of similar proposals. Other countries have long used aerial tramways or cable cars as a transit option. However, the proposals often face public opposition in the US due to concerns including right-of-way issues, ruined views and the burden on taxpayers. In Northern Ireland, a former councillor at Lisburn and Castle Ray Council has been disqualified from holding office for four years due to failure to declare an interest while on a planning committee. Luke Poots was found to have breached the Code of Conduct for councillors by not declaring a conflict of interest, while his father, a senior member of the Northern Ireland Parliament and now the Speaker of the Assembly, spoke at the planning committee on 35 occasions between 2016 and 2019. Mr Poots did not attend the hearings and has called the proceedings a politically motivated attack. Belfast Live reported that Mr Poots withdrew his legal team from the investigation proceedings in November. Senior Labor councillors have declined to endorse proposed cuts aimed at closing a £53 million budget gap at Nottingham City Council. The council, which declared bankruptcy in November, had proposed job and service cuts and a 5% council tax rise. Labor Council leader David Mellon said his party could not recommend the proposed budget, which includes 554 full-time equivalent job losses. BBC News reported that the council is legally obliged to set a balanced budget and will vote on a final package of cuts on the 4th of March. I'm starting a new file on how councils are using AI and Breckland Council in Norfolk has made news this week announcing that it will begin using a tool named Bobby the Phone Bot to answer residents' queries over the phone. Initially focusing on council tax issues, the service is expected to expand to housing, business support and planning matters by year's end, according to a BBC News report. The council says the AI has been answering queries on the council's website since last year with an 85% resolution rate and it will allow customer service call handlers to focus on more complex cases. And finally, Suffolk County Council is testing a new machine called the Dragon Patcher that repairs potholes using hydro-treated vegetable oil. The machine is said to work five times faster than traditional methods and it's being used in rural areas where bad weather has increased the number of potholes. The machine uses compressed air to clean and heat the road surface for repair material to bond with it, reducing raw material use and creating zero waste. We've covered a lot of ground in this episode of The Roundup. Excuse the pun from, or don't excuse the pun in relation to our last story. That's uh, episode number 307 recorded on the 16th of February 2024 and brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association with support from Davidson, the nationally recognised recruitment and business advisory service for local government. You can find links to the stories I've referenced in the episode and a full transcript at lgnewsroundup.com as always. While you're there, check out the latest breaking news 
updates and learn how you can support The Roundup by becoming a subscriber through a small monthly contribution, which you can cancel at any time. Thank you to those who've subscribed so far. It's greatly appreciated. The Local Government News Roundup is recorded in the city of Greater Geelong, Victoria, on the land of the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'll be back with more Local Government News soon. Until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. The Local Government News Roundup is proudly supported by Davidson. For 30 years, Davidson has been strengthening the local government sector by identifying and providing the people, expertise and experience that local government needs to enhance its capability, productivity and performance. Davidson is nationally recognised for its executive recruitment services and over the past four years has built a business advisory practice rapidly evolving into one of the nation's foremost and trusted local government business consultancy firms. The Davidson methodology and approach is simple. Thinking beyond now and aiming to be a valued partner with your local government, not just for the immediate project, but for the next 30 years. Speak to Justin Hanney or Seamus Scanlon to find out more or head to davidsonwp.com.au. Davidson, your future, your partner.